Welcome to another episode of the Gary Anderson F1 Show. I'm Ed Straw, and joining me, as always, is the star attraction, Gary Anderson. Now, today, Gary, we're focusing on the major rule changes in 2022. We've had loads of questions for this. Sorry we won't get to all of them. But I do hope you've committed all 152 pages of the technical regulations to memory in preparation for this. So with that fresh in your mind, what, what do you make of them in general? Um, yeah, 152 pages. That's That's the thing about it, to be honest, you know. Whenever you've got to detail it like that, that's where you're, it's missing the boat, really, I suppose you might call it. I mean, let's go back to, in time to 1990, whenever I started to design our the first Jordan 1991 car. You could sit down with the, the rule book um, and read it in an evening, and you could come away with a mental picture of what the car would look like. Um, you know, all this, all this other stuff, whereas the engine specifications and and uh, materials that none of that did existed it was just factually you know a car a racing car for a constructor to build but as i say you can sit down and read it overnight um a couple of hours good good solid reading and you could visualize the areas and things that you could do of course you'd have to check them and check out some of the dimensions here and there but you could get a picture in your mind of what was going on and since that point in time to now that has just disappeared completely I mean, for the 2022 regulations, there's no way you can visualize what you're trying to build. It's all done on X, Y, Z coordinates. So basically, you know, X is front to back, um, Y across, you know, uh, from the center line of the car, plus and minus, and then Z is vertically. So everything has a, a point in, in space, a relationship to other things. So everything around the front wheel is, for example, is is orientated to the center of the front wheel somewhere. The you know, it's one of those sort of situations where you cannot really visualize it. You need to sit down and draw it out. And there's a few tolerances here and there on it. So there is a, you know, a little bit of a room to maneuver. But it's, um, it is, you know, it is very prescriptive. I wouldn't like it if I was involved in, in Formula One at the moment. It definitely takes away any, any ability to sort of go off the beaten track and find solutions to given problems. Well, that feeds nicely into our first question from Phil Oakley. He asks, how much freedom does each individual team have in terms of aero design? Are these rules more or less prescriptive than the current ones? So perhaps you can put a bit of a, a scale on that because it's a big step, isn't it? It's a massive step. They are much, much more prescriptive. Now, you know, I'm sure that whenever the teams get to them and tear them apart, um, there will be little things pop up there. But th- there's a bit of an obligation from the teams to the to the FIA and to, to Formula One right now as to these new regulations because there there is an objective which is to try to make the cars better uh, at racing each other so if one team does find you know ways of doing something or something pops up a little bit strange there there is a bit of a an agreement between them to to make sure that the FIA or the, or the Formula One people are sort of brought to uh, brought to account on it to make sure that the regulations do try and achieve the objective but that means honesty, and that's not always something that happens. You know, if you find something, if a team, a certain team finds a little loophole, I'm sure they're going to try to exploit it to their to their own benefit, as opposed to try and be Mister Nice Guy and tell everybody else about it. So it is very prescriptive, um, and as I say, it's impossible to really sort of visualise the areas that you could sort of be different on until you really do draw the car out and, and see what the tolerances are and the the potential of grey areas and it's a horrendous task now it's just so many regulations but um, it'll be interesting to see I'm sure we'll see some differences but I'm not sure what they're going to be yet 
David Ferns asked, what level of performance can we expect from the 2022 cars compared to today's cars? Are we expecting to see similar levels of downforce, albeit generated in a cleaner way? Well, the, the objective is to try and generate um, downforce that's not so turbulent for the car behind it. Um, that's nigh on impossible whenever you have considered that the, the, the wheels, the tyres are actually getting bigger, slightly bigger in diameter, similar width to currently. So they're the biggest thing. They're the, they're the biggest turbulence create generators that there are on the back of the car. The rest of it is actually quite neat and tidy airflow. Um, but those tyres, I mean, that's the worst thing you can try and push through the airflow. Uh, and that's why one of these things that you see, you know, world endurance cars, you know, are able to do much, much higher speeds than Formula One cars, um, just because they, they, you know, they have closed bodywork. So until they get something physically around those tyres, you'll always have that turbulence. Um, the rest of it, the weight coming off the diffuser and the weight coming off the, the rear wing, yeah, it affects the airflow for sure. Um, but it's, you know, the, the cars struggle with the same sort of levels of turbulence at Monza as they do at Monaco. So, you know, what we have currently, there's no big difference in it. Um, I think that the downforce will be reduced dramatically. Uh, I've noticed this week that James Key, who used to work with me and um, is technical director at McLaren now, is saying that they're sort of doing their loading for the for the suspension to sort of relate to something like about a second slower. I think we'll be seeing much much more than that. To be honest, um, you know, three or four seconds would be my would be my guide. Um, so the cars will be a bit slower, but is that visually possible to see? I, I don't think so. The, the main thing is obviously to try and, and get the racing a bit better and make sure cars can follow each other a bit closer. Dan Hardwick asks about car weights. He says, how big will the cars be and how much will they weigh? Watching the recent race at Imola made it apparent how huge the current cars are. They completely dwarf the circuit, so I hope the new cars are smaller. Would you like to deliver the bad news, Gary? <laughs> uh No. No, they're not smaller and they're heavier, so that's that's not not a great place to be going, really. You know, they are staying the same size and they're going to be twenty five kilograms heavier. So at the end of the day, the weight thing is a, is a big price to pay. I think it ends up being seven hundred and seventy kilograms or seven hundred and seventy five or something. Um, so you know, whenever you consider that that's the minimum weight limit. You know, and whenever we were, were racing cars not that long ago at 600 kilograms, it's a massive, massive difference. And, you know, some of this performance goes down in in the fact that the car's so heavy. The car's not agile anymore, you know. It's just like driving a truck. Um, so it's there's a lot of things going the wrong direction. You, it's very difficult with the regulations the way they are right now for the engine package and the way the safety requirements for the survival cell, etc., have gone in the past while to build a car down at 600 kilograms. But somebody needs to look at that for the future because that's the wrong direction to be going in. For every, every possible reason, that's the wrong direction to go in. All the energy that's wasted, you know, trying to move this extra mass around all the time and stop it is energy that is just basically wasted. So... Um, yeah, definitely for me, the weight is the wrong way to go. Um, the size of the cars, that's that's negotiable. Um, I think that personally right now the cars, no, I'm not saying they look well, but I think their aspect ratio looks good. The amount of tyre to the car, to the, the performance of the car, all looks reasonable. So I wouldn't get too excited making the car smaller, but I would definitely get excited making the car, car a, a lot lighter. 
yeah, to throw in the exact numbers there, seven, four, six kilos this year, that goes up by three kilos next year. And as you said, seven, seven, five for 22. If you want to hear a little bit more about car size, we did an episode on the 15th of April called Can F1 Cars Be Made Smaller and Lighter? Where Gary delves into the reasons why they've got so heavy and why the, the idea of making them smaller and lighter is nice, but the, the practicality is the big challenge there. The next question is, where would you expect to see the most deviation in design versus the FIA mock-up? That's from Stephen Harris, and Ben Sherwin asked a similar question. Now, we've seen some uh, drawings of the of the car, and there was also that scale model that they had on display at Austin last year when they unveiled the regs, which, of course, were originally for 21, but then got put back. So we've we've got a bit of an idea. that There's a few little variations, aren't there, in the, the various versions? Yeah, there's a few little variations. You know, it's it's one of those sort of things. I don't think there's going to be as much variation as we currently have in the cars, because you know the, the, these cars we have now, there is quite a big deviation in in, in what you can do. Um, a lot more open areas. Um, but it, as always, you know, when the teams start fiddling around with it, and as I say, they have their their design plot laid out with all these areas where there's a little bit bit of room for manoeuvre. It's about making those those areas work a bit better for you so you know we may see little things um but i, I wouldn't i would have said it's you know personally it's it's as close to a one make formula i suppose as i could imagine it being without it being a one make formula you know so close and if you look at if you look at indycars with a lara chassis um and they're you know they're all the same but they all look different as well because just because the paint jobs how you do the paint job makes makes the car look dramatically different. So as far as a technical solution to making the car look different, it's too prescriptive for it to, to be derived from there. It will be the paint, sc- the paint scheme that really makes a difference. Yeah, so if want to put out these different versions of where there can be changes, but just because you can do different things with design because of the rules doesn't mean you will, and everyone's going to inevitably gravitate towards a similar solution. The next question is kind of three questions in one. Sam Render asks, what do you think will be the key area of development? He suggests it will be the whole floor and how that feeds a diffuser. Reese Mackinson, a similar question, who asks where we'll see the biggest variation from team to team design-wise. And Anders Jakobsen asks, in what areas will teams invest the most to find the performance gains? Um, yeah, I think it will be the underfloor. Uh, the leading edge of the underfloor is a, a very new venture for Formula One cars. It's something, the, the style of it's been around for quite a long time in, in Indy cars. Um, more back whenever, you know, Indy cars were called cart cars. Uh, you know, the, the end of the of the of what was the real Indy car formula, I suppose you might call it, um, in the late 90s, very early 2000s. Um, but that's that leading edge with the turning veins inside it, very high leading edge of the turning veins inside it, is a very, very powerful area. Um, not probably as powerful as what our barge board area that we currently have is by any means. That's a massively powerful area. But because of the focus on that for a long time, teams will know a lot about that airflow area around the front of the chassis, the, the leading edge of the side pod, the back of the front tyre, and they'll be trying to emulate that somehow. So I think that frontal area of the side pod, the height of it and the, the aggressiveness of those turning veins and the detail of those turning veins will be will be quite important. Um, the diffuser itself, there's there's not much leeway in it. It's got a height and a size and a length and so on. So it's going to be down to so, somehow how you run the car, how you seal the, the floor because the sealing of the floor makes a massive, massive difference to the performance of it as it, as it does um, on current cars. And all those details, all those louvers and bits and pieces are there. 
to help the floor seal. I think teams are actually finding because for 2021, that area is now getting cut off um, at an angle, basically. I think teams are finding that that angled floor cut back to the rear tyre is, is not as big a negative as they thought. Because again, you know, it's, it's one of those areas you don't have that floor there, so you don't have the low pressures far out, so it's not sucking the air from the front of the tyre so, so much. So you don't have to do so much to keep it from being sucked in underneath the uh, underfloor. So it'll be interesting to see. I think there's a, a bit of a learning curve for 2021 that will cross over to the floor ceiling principles and requirements for 2022. But the, the underfloor, how you seal it, the detail of a diffuser, the detail of the leading edge, for me, would be the area I'd be spending a, a huge amount of research on. Next up, Stuart Henry asks, do you see any teams finding loopholes early in the regulations to gain an advantage? The example he gives is the famous double diffuser of 2009. Well, I hope they do. I really would love to see it. But as I say, there is a, a bit of an agreement between the teams and the FIA, etc., to try to make sure that that doesn't happen because the, this, these regulations were, were put through in the interests of the sport as opposed to just a change in regulations. Um, so the, the teams are sort of obliged, as I said earlier, to to respond with anything that they find, any grey area they find. But again, that, as I said, that, that requires honesty. And I think if I was a team, um, team technical director running a team and I found a bit of a, an opening for, a, for something that was positive, I would be keeping it to myself because the regulations are written for everybody and it's up to you to find it. As I say, the, the regulations are so complicated, you know, to actually sort of read through it and try and find these little bits and pieces is impossible without a massive group of people having a a drawn-out model of where things are and trying to exploit it. So I'm hoping we find do find some grey areas because that's that's what it's all about. That's the enthusiasm that you have as a team to try find that little bit and get one over everybody else. Inevitably, there's lots of interest in the fact that they are ground-effect cars in the more orthodox sense, shall we say. Winnie Chow says, how will the teams try to seal the pressure in the Venturi tunnels without the old skirt design? And will the cars get more sensitive aero-wise? And Tony Taylor says, the undercar aero of the 2022 car looks similar to the Lotus 80. This had problems with porpoising. Will the absence of skirts mean this won't be a problem? Or will stiffer suspension systems damp it out? Well, the underfloor design is actually going to be quite dramatically different uh, in the fact that... um, in the, in the old ground effect days, you had this very low throat on the floor. So in other words, very low to the ground at the front um, and, a, and a very long, huge diffuser. So basically the, 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 pressure def- the pressure underneath the car, the low pressure underneath the car was massive. And because it was so close to the ground, it was very, very easy to get airflow separation. And that's what created the porpoising. So the, the, the floor would get sucked down into the ground and then it would release, let go, bounce up in the air. And sucked back down onto into the uh, ground again. And I, you know, as I've said a couple of times when we had these podcasts, that I remember the Leger going past the pits at Monza, porpoising so much the front wheels were coming off the ground. It wasn't just suspension; it was just the whole front of the car was bouncing up and down so much the front tires were coming off the ground. So that that's what you really call porpoising. Um, but with these cars, this diffuser with a high leading edge, and that that doesn't become such a drama. And also the fact they're not they're not uh, skirted, so the the peak low pressure areas will not be in such a confined area. They'll be spread across the whole floor a bit more. There won't be a, just a peak where the throat, the throat of the diffuser is. Um, and I think the fact that they don't have skirts will mean that you, you know it's impossible to seal all the airflow from getting sucked underneath there. 
and it you know the light the airflow being sucked underneath there isn't like a light switch it's it's you know sort of fairly linear so you will be doing your best you can to stop the airflow going underneath there but again you know if there's a, a an instant where it's not as as um it's not as well sealed it won't be like a light switch the car won't start bouncing up and down you know from the underfloor for sure john malloy says why were the end fences on the top of the rear wing removed well, it's, again, that's one of the areas where you do get quite a lot of turbulence. Um, if you can see some of the cars, especially in Turkey, you'll see the, the vortex is coming off the back corner of that wing. And obviously that's heading backwards. That's doing nothing for you as such. Um, but it's the next car's picking that all up and trying to work with it. Um, and that's because of this, there's sort of three areas of the wing. There's the underneath surface of the wing, there's the upper surface of the wing, and there's the outside surface of the end plate. And when all three of them sort of join up and the airflows are working hard, they're all travelling at different speeds. So the, the air rotates and, and generates that vortex off that corner. It's draggy for your car when it's being generated. And you can see that by the DRS. You know, the DRS is open. There's very little vortex coming off it. And when it closes, it's, there's quite a lot of, quite a big vortex comes off it. So, you know, the more downforce you, you produce there, the bigger that vortex is. Um, and the worse that is for the car coming along behind because it, it sort of it goes up in the air and it circles around and comes back down to the centre of the car to the void that's being created by the sort of centre of the car. So it's exactly where a car would be following you but about 10 car lengths behind you. Um, so that's the turbulent area. And by taking away that end plate, um, you will get a lot uh, more efficiency from your wing you can't get the downforce levels but you'll get the, a better efficiency but the airflow coming off it will not generate those vortices um, and teams have been working in that area up until this year where you could put the louvers in in the top of that wing end plate um, up to a couple of years ago you could you could louver that area and get airflow through the end plate prior to the trailing edge so it reduced that vortex again um, but it's one of those sort of areas where, by doing it the way they're doing it, they're trying to reduce the turbulence uh, from your rear wing. But they haven't reduced the turbulence from the rear tyres. Let's go to the front wing next. Bill Carson asks, why is the front wing as wide as the entire car? Surely this will cause it to get damaged more easily. Um, well, it's exactly the same as it is now, and I agree 100% with you, uh, Bill. You know, in my point of view, Whenever you see a driver getting into the car, you know, he, he, he never sees the front wing again. That's it, it's gone. Especially the outboard end of it, which is in front of that front tyre. If that was just like, let's say, 10 centimetres narrower, um, it would mean that he would be able to judge it much better because the front wheel would be the offending item. He can see the front wheel and he can place the front wheel. And if you get very, very close to a car in front of you uh, with that front wheel, the front wing will suffer now. Um, and in 2022 but if it was 100 mil you know 10 centimeters to say narrower the front wing would be a lot safer you'd either take the front wheel off suspension wise if you hit somebody hard enough or you probably your front wing would would uh, survive a little glancing blow with that front wheel so i think it's pretty, pretty silly that it's uh, it's left there because it is a very vulnerable area that's a very expensive area as well it's uh well we've seen many times um wings getting knocked off and you know a replacement of that wing, if it's completely damaged, is you know a hundred grand, something like that. It's a, a lot of money. But not only that, it's on the track waiting for somebody else to come along and pick it up. And so it's expensive financially, but it's also expensive as far as um, 
racing is concerned and time is concerned. Next up, Stephen Harris asks, how much effect will the sections over the front tyres have? Now, this is in re- uh, reference to the, the deflexors, as they're called, that are above the, the front wheels. Uh, well, actually, they're quite a good thing. Um, way back in 19, I'd say, 73 or 74, um, Gordon Murray came up with a similar sort of thing on the on the, the Brabham BT44. Um, it's a, yes, a mudguard, we used to call it. But if you look at the side of the car, if you look at the side of the tyre, um, obviously there's a lot going on. But in general, up uh, up to about 10 o'clock, if you're looking at the front wheel, up to about 10 o'clock, the airflow tends to want to separate and go around the inside of the tyre or around the outside of the tyre. And whenever you had the um, the more aggressive outwash end plates, you that was what you're trying to do. You're trying to pull more airflow around the outside of the tyre so that it wasn't getting displaced to the inside of the tyre, which... Basically, it's fairly turbulent, so it upset the rest of the car, how it functioned. But from 10 o'clock onwards, that airflow is getting accelerated over the top of the tyre, um, and it, it goes up in the air. It, it's, it sort of arcs upwards, um, and those little mudguards are there to try and pull that back down again to stop the weight coming off the top of the tyre being so turbulent and put it down in behind the tyre again, as opposed to it pulling airflow around the outside of the tyre into that void behind the tyre. In other words, you're trying to fill up the hole behind the behind the tyre because the, the tyre going through the airflow makes a big hole in it and there's a, a low-pressure area behind it, which is very turbulent. So you're trying to fill that up as best possible to, to help it and to keep that airflow that's going over the top of the tyre um, to pull that back down into that area a little bit better. So they, they can be p- quite powerful. But they are, again, in the regulations, it's one of the areas I have read quite closely, they are defined quite quite tightly, I suppose you might call it. There's a little bit of leeway for, for variation, but it's, it's not massive. Next up from Javier Sanchez, he says, what is the point of the open source components rules? Now, there's lots of different types of components in the 2022 rules. So have you, have you memorised which ones the open source ones are? Uh, no, I haven't memorised them at all. But, you know, open source... Well, any components, basically, open source, um, it's like a bearing, I suppose you might call it. You know, you, you have to be able to, to get bearings from somewhere. Um, you know, they have gone in the past where we've designed our own bearings and had bearing companies make them and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, that as a detail, again, that's what makes it 100 and, I don't know how many pages you said there, Ed, 170 pages. Um, that's what makes the regulations so big because of some of these lists that have just gone out of control. So they are there, and it's, it's about complying with them in some way or another. I quite like the open source ones. No one's really here to listen to what I think, but at least it means you can design a part if you want to yourself. You just have to make it available to everyone. So that's what, at least one of the more understandable ones. Uh, Kian Whitaker asks about the wheel covers. So the wheel covers, like we saw in the Braun era, are they really beneficial, and why aren't they used today? And of course, this question is because those sort of things are returning in 2022. We will see covered wheels. Yeah, um, they are beneficial. Uh, in the past, we've seen them. Um, it was the start of the outwash, I think you might call it, the outwash understanding. So the, the airflow that was getting fed through the, the brake ducts and through the brakes was being focused out of a, an area which was sort of, um, again, looking at my clock, it was down around about the five o'clock position. And that was basically so that that airflow got caught up in the low pressure area where the tire was coming off the ground. Just that's the that's the biggest low pressure behind the, behind the tire. 
Um, and you can see that whenever the car's running in the wet, that's where the, 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 the water gets pulled back into that, that gap. So having that opening down around the five o'clock area meant you had good airflow through the brake duct, through the brakes, um, through the wheel, and down into that, that one area. But again, you know, time goes by and people forget. Um, people got fed up with it. It was expensive. It was difficult to do. Um, it's a little bit of a safety hazard when changing wheels also, or changing tires and pit stops, all that sort of stuff. But now it's back again, and I don't really understand it. It's come back more as a hubcap to, I think, stop any um, tra transverse flow through the wheel or any outwashes, you might call it. Um, so it's it's there more of a hubcap. Now, IndyCars ran those things quite a while ago uh, on high-speed ovals, but they made the they made the like the front of the car. They made it very pointy, um, running without them and with them. You know, that was like a the front wheel became like a bit of a dive plane. It's very easy to get airflow going across the side of the front wheel, the outside of the front wheel. It's getting displaced by the front of the tire. It goes round the outside of it, and it's getting sucked back into the area behind it. And then you change the steering that little bit of an angle, and it works like a wing. Um, and it can, as opposed to the tire giving you the grip to turn the car, you can actually get airflow, vertical airflow, like a wing on its end, um, actually trying to rotate the car. And that, for the driver, has no feeling. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's just a force that acts on the car, but it has no feeling through the steering wheel. It, the car just turns very quickly, or doesn't turn, as the case may be, because you can have it working against you as well. Um, and some teams have that even now. There is some changes in, in vertical airflow direction that create turning moments in the car. And as I say, it's not something the driver can feel or the driver's comfortable with, because it's a... It's a change, an aerodynamic change, but it's not going through the, the weight of the steering wheel as such. So it'll be interesting to see how that happens because it's one of those sort of things that you, you won't really know about until you go on the track and, and actually find out how it uh, responds to how the car feels. Next up, Box F1 asks, will the new rules prevent the ugly thumb noses like Ferrari has? Well, everybody's got an ugly, or most people have got an ugly thumb nose, I suppose, one way or another. Will it change it? The intention is it will change it. The intention is that the cars will be aesthetically a bit more pleasing to the eye. All of the all of the models that have been built or the sketches that have been released or whatever are all tidy-looking cars, I suppose you might call it. And I hope it does, really. Uh, and if it doesn't do, then that's the sort of area, as I say, needs to be stepped on very, very quickly because the, the, thumbnail, the thumbnail thing, I think, is a way around the regulations to minimise the deficit that was created by the regulation change way back many years ago. And that shouldn't be for these 2022 regulations. The plan is about making the car better as a car to race against other cars. And as I say, the objective of, has been set to the teams to try and achieve that as opposed to just blindly building the best car they know how to. I think there'll be a compromise for a couple of years till we see the, what grey areas the teams can find. But there'll be a compromise for a couple of years and then hopefully it'll get tidied up so that the cars can be aesthetically pleasing because it, there's nothing as nice as a nice racing car. It's, it's a lovely thing. Well, that's the designer of the Jordan 191 speaking, so uh, you know what you're talking about when it comes to that. Jim Walker says, how significant is the change from 13-inch to 18-inch wheel rims in the chassis suspension and aero design? Um, yeah, it will have a big change. Um it's it's obviously there's going to be less less deflection in the tire, um, so it will give you more 
more um, ability to to manage that suspension movement, so you can have better damping of of suspension movement. Um, it's just, it's two it's twofold really. To be honest, you know, good cars. If you watch good cars on the racetrack at the moment, they have suspension movement. Whenever you see a car that's mounted, that's really rigid, just bouncing over curbs and whatever, normally that's not the way of the car being fast. Um, there is a nice compromise there somewhere. And uh, I think the, the thing, that the, the, bigger, the bigger wheels and the smaller sidewall tires will help you to manage that a little bit better. It's, it's a difficult one because aero-wise, other than the hubcaps on them, they are going to be a little bit bigger. So there's nothing, there's nothing different. They're a rotating round device of a width and a height. Um, so aero-wise, they're going to do the same thing. It doesn't matter with 13 inch or 18 inch. Inside of that wheel um, depends upon what you can do with the brakes. There was a plan to keep the brakes the same so that the cost was kept within un an understandable level um, so that you, there's a void inside of there that you can't do much with now. Um, but I think that'll stay like that for a little while. Um, but as far as um, suspension geometry is concerned, um, it'll allow a little bit more, more leeway. If you can see the Mercedes, for example, you know, they bring the outboard pickup point of the front wheel um, up around the front rim to try and get a sensible suspension geometry. With the bigger rim, that won't be so difficult to do. Um, so there's room to say that the suspension geometries could get a bit more sympathetic to the tyre, both front and rear. Um, and uh, that would be a positive as far as the tyres are concerned. But aerodynamically, I don't see a big difference in it. Um, as far as the... The weight of the components concerned, uh, you know, the the tire itself, the section through the tire, is actually heavier than the section through the rim. So, the the whole weight of the the tire and the um, rim combination should stay very similar to mills. I don't see a change in in that area. So, um, I think the biggest thing will be better suspension geometry, or available to, availability to better suspension geometry, um, which will only be a positive for the tire. Boris Koibazi says, do you think the new regs will really improve the competitive balance or will we end up looking forward to the rule change after the next rule change, like every time the regs have changed previously? Well, Boris, unfortunately, I think you're, you're probably nearly right there. Um, it's, it's one of these things, a competitive balance is a very difficult thing. Um, it's always going to be there. You know, the teams that have the, the money, the expertise, the equipment, the tools, the simulation tools, the, all of that stuff makes them good yes you know there's a there's a team in there somewhere that can can get it right let's say racing point for example example this is probably the first year that racing point have had some money and obviously they've been criticized a bit for the the pink mercedes but this is a new opening for 2022 um can they put all <coughs> can they put all of their expertise together um and really come up with a package that will make make, make them make race against you know whoever's at the front mercedes let's say for example or red bull um it's difficult to see that because that that's the sort of thing that evolves through time um you know mercedes didn't just buy braun braun won the world championship changed the name to mercedes and they had a, a couple of reasonably dismal years you know and they used that to say oh, we were building up because you know although we won the championship as, as braun we had no money and all that sort of stuff and before that with the honda um, years, it was pretty tough. So it took time for that all to happen. And when Mercedes got to the level of of being able to win races, they then held on to that 
quite well, as did Red Bull for four years. Um, but then whenever they had their drop-off, they also dropped off. They didn't re recover again. And, you know, it's, it, they haven't made a great recovery yet, Red Bull. So it's difficult to do it unless you can keep that momentum when you're right there and you understand why it's happening. And Mercedes seem to understand that. So I'm not sure a regulation change really changes the competitive field, other than some team might get it right and some other team that was good might get it wrong. But that's a different problem altogether. Well, on that very subject, the next question is, who do you see as the favourites for getting this regulation change right? That one comes from Alex on Twitter. And Vernon Dursley has asked if a bat market could become a front runner, as Williams did between 2013 and 14, or are the rules not extreme enough? I think the rules are extreme enough to allow something to happen. And again, as you know, that the last question sort of answers is, it's one of those things where if a team e Williams or Haas or, or Racing Point or, you know, we can class a whole lot of them in there, Renault, AlphaTauri, you know, if they really get it right, somehow click on to the fact and get the momentum, then, yeah, for, I'm sure I'm sure they can they can take over from where Mercedes are right now. But the thing is, you know, the Mercedes have got to where they are right now for a reason. They have got good people in all the areas. They have a good working opportunity for everybody you know everybody has input and they come out of there with a package that's that's pretty good and the thing that impresses me about a team like Mercedes is whenever they have a bad a bad day they usually come back stronger and that's that shows the depth of a good team you know other teams in the in the pit lane when they have a bad day they come back with an even worse one um so at the end, at the end I don't I don't see somebody really jumping up there unless there are some as an area like the double diffuser that we talked about before you know somebody finds that loophole that is makes it exceptional um but i don't think that area i think there'd be enough knowledge going into the cars that that area won't exist anymore in the regulations so I, i'm i'm not sure it will change the 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 running order to be honest i'm not sure we'll see a, a team jumping up from the back of the field and I think, to be honest, it'll probably separate the teams a little bit, like, like it always does. Regulation change separate it, and then they close back up over a couple of years. Now, the final question comes from Kim Walker, getting good value with a three-part question. Asks, when can the team start development on their 2022 cars? Will any of the teams have started work on concept designs already? And how many years until the cost cap, which of course comes in next year, but was originally part of the, the rules that got put back to 2022, how many years until the cost cap fully erodes the IP and resource advantages that the big three have accumulated over the years? Um, well, just starting, obviously, part one. Uh, well, they'll have started development on the 2022 cars, really. You know, it's one of those sort of things where when a set of regulations come out, you never stop thinking about it. There'll be a group of people at every team now working on it and thinking about it and scratching their head and doing a few sketches and, you know, testing bits and pieces. Um, so... Every team will be into it, um, and definitely the concept designs will be will be thick and fast as far as teams are concerned. All that stuff I've been talking about, about having to draw the car car out and get all your little areas and grey areas and whatever, you know, that'll all have been done. There definitely will be a, a huge amount of um, concepts as far as schemes are concerned. But the main thing to do is to get your head around the regulations you know, 100%, because they are so difficult to get your head around. There's so much to them. I mean, it's a, it really is genuinely down to a, a bunch of lawyers now as opposed to engineers to understand them, because, you know, wording wrongly can just change the whole 
understanding of something, and and that's all down to legalese. So, be interesting to see if there's any of that comes up because this is the most major change that we will have seen for many many years. Um, and as far as Big Three is concerned, and he ruled the IP. As long as you change the regulations, the IP changes. I suppose you might say. So you know the intellectual property of your car about the bargeboard area, for example, of this year's cars, um, that will be completely different by 2022. So it will change, and it just it just keeps on moving um, with the regulations that you've got and the understanding you've got, and you know the concepts you've come up with. So I'm not sure that it will ever it will ever change from that. There is no you know, there is, there is no opportunity for to have a really good concept and have a front-engine car, for example. It's it's not like that. It's all about detail. So I don't see it ever, ever uh, losing the fact that, you know, a team will have its own understanding of stuff and other teams will try to copy it. And that's been addressed in a way, whether it works or not. But, it, you know, you can still copy from pictures, but it's just those sophistication of those pictures, you know, you or I can take them. We've all, we've all done it as, as teams. We've all taken pictures of people's IP and tried to make it work in our car. And normally, if you take a piece and put it onto your car from another car's, uh, another team's car, it doesn't work, you know, because the whole thing has to work as one one sort of evolved component. Um, so you have to do it on your own, to be, to be honest, to make sure you get the best out of everything. You have to do it on your own. You have to tread your own path, I think, is the best way of putting it. And as you say, although we're over a year away from these cars hitting the track for the first time, the work will be ongoing, even though they have got that that suspension of aerodynamic testing at this stage, there's still, as you explained, huge amounts they can do. But then once we get to January the 1st, they can go absolutely flat out on it. So yeah, already the, the die is, if not quite cast for 2022, it's it's being cast, isn't it? That What's happening now behind the scenes will decide what happens in 18 months' time. Yeah, you, you don't just sit there with the light off, you know, and then suddenly switch the light on one day and think, okay, 2022, here I come. No, you, you know, your thought pattern is, is getting your head around all that stuff. And that set of regulations, as I said, it needs to be just understood from a from a coordinates point of view because that's what all the regulations are. Just to get an understanding of that is a massive, massive task. Um, it doesn't matter about detail, design of the car. It's just about a massive task of where things can go and the placement of stuff and what that stuff is. And, and that'll, that'll be happening right now. Well, that's all we've got time for in terms of the questions. Thanks very much to everyone who sent them in, whether or not your questions got answered. Do follow Gary on Twitter. He's on at GaryAndersonF1. You can chuck a question his way for consideration for the podcast there. And of course, do head to therace.com and don't forget the hyphen if you want to read the latest from Gary and the rest of the team on the world of Formula One. And of course, the Gary Anderson F1 show will be back next week. We've got a triple header coming up, two Bahrain to the Abu Dhabi to finish off the season. And then we'll probably be away on... First looking back at the season and then looking ahead to 2021 and before we know it, 2022 will be there. So do join us next week for more from Gary.